what have we been saying for at least a year or more now? Uh, stop making comic book movies? Oh, yes. Okay. That and all the best movies for the last few years have been foreign. Well, yeah, completely. Um, and more specifically, Korean. Mm. For example, my favorite film from last year, Parasite, by Bong Joon-ho, which took away four Academy Awards and was the first non-English language film to ever win Best Picture. And the film we're talking about today does not disappoint. Minari, an A24 gem, currently sits at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes as we record this. But maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's roll into that intro. She's Tuesday. I'm Kaylee. This is Whiskey and Popcorn. As my partner in crime was saying, Minari has been sweeping the reviewer circles and even sparking some debate about foreign films in the awards circuit. Okay, but then I'm now getting ahead of myself. Kaylee, tell us what Minari is about. Well, you know, the handy dandy interwebs gives us a, a synopsis here that I'm going to read off to you. <laughs> it says... Minari tells the story of a Korean-American family in search of a better life when they move to a small farm in Arkansas. I really don't think that properly conveys what Minari is about because there's just so much more depth to it. And side note, I just got to say, every time I see Arkansas, I want to say Arkansas. (laughs) (laughs) That's totally fair. That's how I remembered how to spell it. So right? Funny. I'm like, I, how often do I actually say this out loud? But anyways, getting sidetracked here. You know, this is this is a very American story in that it's about the American dream. It's also like the immigrant dream in a lot of ways. Even though they had been living in the U.S., they had been living in California, they are still originally from Korea. It stars Stephen Yun as Jacob, and Yuri Han as Monica. They're the husband and wife. And then we have the grandmother, who is uh, Yoon Ye-jun. My apologies for my Korean pronunciation. It's not up to par. But she plays the grandma, or Sunya. And then we have the son, the, the younger of two kids. His name is David, played by Alan Kim. And then his sister, Noelle Cho, who uh, sister's name is Anne. But they uproot their entire family and go go east, uh, which is kind of a different thing. Usually it's like, go west, young man, go west. <laughs> but they go east and they settle in Arkansas of all places, which is very rural. Uh, it's set in the 80s. So where they are, it's very rural, very white, very Christian, very much not where you're going to see a lot of various people. And the family home they move into, it's basically a trailer. It's on wheels, (laughs) which the kids find amazing. The wife, not so much. But they have all these acres that they could turn into a farm. And it's David's dream is to like start growing Korean vegetables for the various Korean populations that are growing across the United States. How's your daddy like that new farm? He growing things good, doing things right? Yes. I don't like grandma. Grandma smells like Korea. Yeah, 
뭐라고? 그랜마스맨? It's just very moving and I love when the grandmother comes to join the family because she's she's a bit foul mouthed. She's not like your typical doting grandmother. She doesn't cook or clean for the family. She loves to watch TV and uh, kind of goof around, which for the son, David, yeah, he, he's never met her before. So it's like this whole new experience. So you're getting all these family dynamics. The, the older sister who, you know, it's like, my gosh, this annoying little brother of mine, who, by the way, has a heart condition on top of everything else, uh, like this kind of falling apart of the marriage between Jacob and Monica. It's just, it's beautiful. Like, it's a very subtle but lovely story about just trying to make it and make something of yourself. Um, Very much the American dream, but a very fresh retake of that trope. Yeah, and it's very much a, you know, bootstraps we're we're gonna make it here kind of movie but it's also just such a beautiful story where it doesn't feel like it's being rehashed uh like other films this isn't really despite the fact that there is a trope with you know coming to america and making it this feels so original Mm -hmm. and it was very beautifully done the it's a wonderful homage to the 80s although it's not a punch in your face that it's a throwback but you can absolutely tell that they're not in 2021 right Right. and just the I agree with you it's it's a bit of a slow burn um but the pacing isn't incorrect it feels like he takes that time to really give you every single aspect and to build that character development so you feel like you're there with them you know if the crops are hurting you're hurting um if the parents are fighting you feel that mm-hmm. you know it, when when the kids get upset and and you need to allow some films to have that time mm-hmm. to build and the acting and the character development in this film was absolutely exceptional yes this is very much a character driven story not a plot driven story and i think it's beautiful because the relationship between uh jacob and monica the husband and wife they are they're they're struggling it's not a perfect marriage and you know we get to kind of hear glimpses of like when they first fell in love and how wonderful like it was the adventure of moving to america but now they have kids and they have responsibilities and they got to make it work. And I can see where Monica was going crazy because uh, Jacob was taking all these huge risks, you know, with the farm venture and farming's never easy. You depend on so many factors coming together. And then being outsiders in this community, they start going to like church, but they're the only people there who are not white. <laughs> and the community they don't outright reject them at all. I think they're more like curious, you know, you get a lot of curious looks, a lot of curious stares, but like they're not open arms welcoming either. Right. Right. It's very, it's a saying I love to hear where they're not evil, it's ignorance. And that's where it's coming from is there's this small town of people who have probably never left that town. So, you know, you get a lot of, especially within the kids, you get a lot of 
oh, so tell me when I actually say a word in your language, ching, chong, do, you know, like just very racist, but very unaware of the fact that they're racist mm-hmm. um, because they just don't know better. Um, and they get a lot of that. And w- within that, one aspect I really loved was the son, David, because he doesn't really know any different. And so he is constantly battling this cultural divide between I'm American and you guys need to stop acting Korean or you're acting too Korean or for the grandmother, it's you don't, you don't act like a normal grandmother. You cuss and and you gamble with us and you do all these silly things and that's not what grandmas do. And so he very much is a small child trying to figure out if he is Korean or he is American. And I don't feel like he thinks he can be both. And he wants nothing more than to blend in. Like right. he's a young kid too. Like he's got to be what six or yeah, six or seven tops, right around there. So I mean, definitely like around the kindergartner, first grade age. And you're right though he he was born in America, and that's like all he knows. And so like when grandma brings them like special medicine from Korea, it's like gross. I don't want to drink that. <laughs> you know, I'm sure there's probably a lot of moments that children who have parents from other countries can relate to. If you grew up here in the U.S., but your parents are from Mexico or Italy or Russia or Korea, China, you know, there's a lot of things like, why do I have to know this or that? It's like, you don't appreciate it as a little kid, but it's so endearing anyways, because it's like, oh, I get it. I know exactly like what you're kind of going through. For my own personal experience, not that I was uh, have foreign parents, but I was like, my mom was always introducing me to weird foods as a kid. Weird being like she'd make Indian curries and mm-hmm. cook, cook tofu. And I wanted like beanie weenies and, you know, chicken nuggets. Right. So, <laughs> it's like, what is this? But now, of course, like I eat anything and everything. And I'm really grateful for that experience. But, you know, those moments when David was just like, what the heck? I was like, oh, yes, I know what that's like. Oh, completely. Did you have anything that you disliked about it? Gosh, I don't think there is a single thing that I disliked. Uh, I would say this film might feel a little hard for people in the fact that it is mostly in Korean, even though it's, I would say, duly produced uh, American uh, and Korean film. You know, it was made here in the U.S. and it is the story of the director, Lee Isaac Chung, who grew up on a small farm in rural Arkansas. He has done quite a few films, both in Korean and in English. So he's got it wonderful, if not short, filmography. <laughs> so so I, I can't necessarily speak for Kaylee, but I can say that we saw very little wrong with this film. It was incredibly beautifully done and it is highly recommended from both of us and depending on how you feel we watched it in 2020 so it might be one of our favorites of 2020 although it is officially releasing to the public in February so I honestly I don't think we can speak much more praises for Minari yeah it's really good and you know award season is coming up Tuesday Oh, yeah, we can't get around the debate, can we? Hmm. So very recently, it had come up in the common news 
sources where we like to read about movies that, again, it's doing incredibly well among film critics. And the Hollywood Foreign Press, who is most responsible for the Golden Globes, actually announced that Minari would not be eligible for Best Picture drama category on the grounds that its dialogue is mostly in Korean. And after seeing Parasite win the Best Picture uh, at the Academy Awards last year, a lot of people are talking about the fact that this isn't fair. Now, the Hollywood Foreign Press does say that their rules state that at least 50% of the film's dialogue must be in English. But a lot of critics, including myself, say that rules also need to be altered as time passes. And as we have stated, some of the best films that have been coming to the U.S. have been foreign. And I think that it's time to reevaluate what these award shows have as far as rules are concerned. Yeah, I mean, they made Benari eligible for the best foreign language film. Um, but I do agree with you Tuesday and a lot of the chatter online that, you know, this is rule that it needs to be 50% in English should be abolished. I mean, for goodness sakes, it's the Hollywood foreign press association (laughs) foreign. So I'm like, this rule already is just odd to me. Um, and I, it is very limiting because I'm like, if it was a British film, well, then it would be eligible, um, or an Australian film, or any film that was spoken in English. Uh, so I, I really do think the tide is turning to where audiences, broader audiences, are interested and willing to to see these films. And they're great storytellers. Like, I have loved war films my whole life, and people would always give me weird looks like, what are you talking about? You're such a nerd. You're such a geek. You're, you know, you're too into it. And I'm like, you know, you don't understand. Like there's some of the most amazing uh, cinema from other countries because they, they're able to, or willing to take risks in their storytelling um, or, you know, put out stuff that Hollywood is quite frankly, too afraid to put out because they're worried of losing money. Um, Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, a a lot of the filmmakers are actually not only criticizing this decision, but they're actually saying that having an American made film in its own special category can even be considered xenophobic. mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure you remember Lulu Wang. She was in The Farewell. She was quoted as saying, I have not seen a more American film this year Mm -hmm. in regards to Minari. And I absolutely agree with her. I don't know. I I personally can't call it xenophobic because I'm a white person. But um, there is another actor, Daniel Day Kim. And he said the, the decision by the Hollywood Foreign Press is... The uh, he says, quote, the film equivalent of being told to go back to your country when your country is actually America. Yes. And those two quotes really, really stood out to me because, you know, he said these rules are antiquated. 
the, like these need to be changed. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I thought that that was something really interesting and important to bring up with this film because you won't stop hearing about that. Um, and award shows are coming up. So we would love to hear your opinion on that, especially with Parasite breaking huge awards last year. So we'll, we'll have to see if, uh, if, they respect the pushback or we're gonna we'll have to see and of course we'll update you guys when we hear something as well mm-hmm. well i think it's time to lift our glasses to this most american of films the most beautiful film uh of 2020 it's in my top three for sure oh absolutely what you drinking i decided to pour myself an american dream <laughs> Ooh, what's <laughs> and, in that uh, this this is a like a martini glass drink but it's part gin part vermouth a dash of orange bitters and part yellow chartreuse with a little orange twist very uh citrusy uh very much i would kind of call it a gentleman's drink with that gin in there i love me some gin though but a very classy uh, american dream drink so I took a little trip to Total Wine because you can't just get this at the grocery store. But I am going with a Korean favorite. Some call it the quintessential Korean drink of soju. Mm-hmm. And that is going to be a clear alcohol, kind of like gin or vodka, but it's actually a little bit sweeter. It's more like a sake than yeah. a gin or vodka. Yeah, and it's just a very common, like, dinner drink to have. The one thing I do like um, is it is ex- it is incredibly strong. <laughs> it is uh, anywhere between 19 and 25% alcohol. So be careful with that third glass is all I can tell you. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I thought that that would be a little change up for me. But, again, you're going to have to you're going to have to look around for it. Oh my goodness. I love me some soju and now I really want Korean barbecue. (laughs) Soju and beer and you do like uh, basically soju bombers and then Korean barbecue. (sighs) Tuesday, we got to plan it out. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like we have our next outing. (laughs) Well, on that note, make sure that you guys are subscribing to us because if you aren't, then what the heck are you doing with your lives? Seriously. And, of course, make sure to bookmark our website for all the most recent reviews at whiskeyandpopcorn.org. And like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And she's Tuesday. I'm Kaylee. This has been Whiskey and Popcorn. Thanks so much for listening. 